Can learning transform your life? This is Impact Learning with Maria Zinedou, a podcast where you will hear personal stories about how we learn, work, and live in the connection economy. Together with her guests, she will teach you to design your learning journey and create the life you want. On today's episode... Well, I think it's because they see something tangible. I think that when when you get a grade, it's a grade. And it's a, how do you label your work, honestly? And I, you know, I tell my students all the time in their, in our English class and my speech debate classes, you know, they're, they're so focused sometimes on, you know, well, before the newspaper within the class, they're so focused on their grade. And I always tell them, you know, like, I'll give you a 95 if that's what you want, but you know, what is it that you really learned? What is it that you're getting out of this class? You know, I, I to me, grade, the traditional grade is not what's important. It's what they're gonna get out of my class. Hey, it's Maria, and you are listening to Impact Learning. Today, I talk with Dennis Michalski, who is a teacher and the president and executive director of Students Disrupting. Do you know that barely one out of 10 public schools in New York City, the media capital in the world, has a student newspaper? Dennis founded Students Disrupting to bring student-run newspapers to every high school in the city. Through training, advising, and supporting students, teachers, and administrators, he's helping them find their voice deepen their thought and seek the truth. Dennis talks about his school principal, who considered the curriculum in every classroom with an open mind, and empowered him to develop risk-taking approaches to his teaching. The three-step process to launch the newspaper in each school is a powerful approach for any change we seek to create. It is based on community roundtables and pilot programs followed by implementation. Dennis's commitment to education, community engagement, and youth leadership development is inspiring. Let's dive right in. Hey, Dennis, welcome to Impact Learning. It's great to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me on. So, Dennis, you and I do not know much about each other, so I'm very curious, what is one kind of learning or learning experience that you had as a child that you are proud of? So, I would say that I was very lucky with the upbringing that I had uh, with my own education. So, I grew up uh, in Thousand Oaks, California, which is outside of Los Angeles, And I went through uh, Catholic school, first through eighth grade, and then I went to the public school in my area for nine through 12th grade. And actually what was one of the best experiences for me was actually two, was one, I was on my student council as the spirit leader in a way. So I got to really... uh, get my classmates, you know, excited about everything that was going on, if it was like a, an upcoming football game or if it was about something like that. So I was really very integrated in the spirit of the school and being able to create a community. Uh, it was a school of like 3,000 students, so it's a, a difficult task, but it was uh, one of the things that I truly loved about my education experience and especially high school Uh, Everybody has different experiences, positive and negative. But for me, being a part of that uh, was such a a positive, you know, had a positive impact on me uh, Mm -hmm. as a student and now as an educator. Did anyone encourage you, give you the idea or how did you start getting involved in building community and connecting, connecting with the other students? Yeah, so I as uh, growing up, my my family was very much involved in the community. So um, my mom was always involved in the parent-teacher association at our school. She was always the lead, as they called room moms. Uh, So she was always involved in what was going on in our school, first through eighth grade. So I saw that just directly through, you know, seeing my mom and seeing how involved she was. And even through that, just not even getting paid for it, but she was just so involved with this decision-making. So it was really inspired by that. And my dad was also very involved with 
you know, whenever we were in sports or in extracurricular, he was our coach, he was our piano teacher. So I really learned from my two parents, uh, you know, being involved in your local community is so important. So um, when I was actually in the seventh grade, maybe I, I joined my student council there uh, and was active from that and eighth grade and then in, in high school, uh, I was active uh, in that. And really just, I saw from what my parents did, it was such a positive thing for our family and the community where I wanted to really take it on myself. And I may not have been, you know, even aware at the time that they had that impact on me, but it really has, you know, been a uh, influential thing for me that they're now always supportive of everything that I do. And, you know, when I'm struggling with anything, they're the first people that I talk to, and they're always, you know, letting me know their experiences. So I think that with my my family support and with all of that, it's been very influential in the way that I want to be involved uh, and in my own community and also be able to get other people involved as well. Beautiful. That's a beautiful skill to learn from your family, but also to learn early on. Yeah, like, you know, yeah definitely. That's a, that's a beautiful, well, that's a really essential and beautiful skill. So what did you want to study? Like, was there any subject that you were more interested in high school or later on? How did you decide what to study? Yeah, so when I was in when I was in high school, I was very involved in both the the student council and also in the drama program at my school. So I knew I wanted to be in something that uh, rallied people together. If it was either a, a, a school rally or if it was a school play. But then when I actually went away to college, I really first really wanted to be in New York City. When I was ten years old, I visited New York because my mom and, and her family grew up actually on Long Island. So I was, um, we came here for that. And the moment I came, it was the moment that I decided to my parents, I'm going to be living there. And that's, you know, that's where I'm going to be. And I was always very interested in uh, the United Nations, actually, and learning about different cultures and all types of people. And I really wanted to learn other languages. So I actually originally went to college, which I went to Pace University in downtown Manhattan uh, to study modern languages and cultures. That was my original major that I, I, I declared. But then as I, I was in my first year, I realized that instead of um, being the one that was you know, interpreting the, the decisions that were being made, I really wanted to be involved in the actual decision-making even though now I, I regret not learning other languages because I think that is a massive, you know, benefit to anyone. It was something that I, you know, then decided, you know what, I'm going to do communications and, you know, and see where it goes from there. Okay, so you shifted more or less towards communication and, and media, I guess. Yes, uh, correct. And how did you see that now as a way to be part of the decision-making process? Yeah, so I'm so happy that it was the decision that I made and the experience that I, I learned from that. Because right away from going to Pace University, it's a university that, especially that it's in New York City, it's very focused on, there's not a lot of campus community, but they, they focus a lot on the entire city is sort of our campus and it's our community. So I got very involved from my first year uh, in in different organizations and different companies uh, as a public relations uh, intern. So during my time in, in college, I, I worked um, as an intern for Warner, Warner Brother Music. I also uh, worked for DoSomething.org. Uh, I also worked with a few different public relations firm, public relations firms. And then in my later years in, in college, if you could call it that, yeah. uh, I... Um, I started to I started to volunteer with New York Cares, uh, which uh, gave me the opportunity to volunteer at actually local schools uh, in the downtown area, where I helped uh, students with their math skills, which is is not a, not a strength of mine, but it was uh, one of the opportunities to work at a local school, and um, so I, I it gave me the opportunity just from the start to you know start start working with the local businesses and communities and really get to know the people that are around. You know, this is a beautiful story and the way you said it, because it's it's not only what we study or what we learn or who we do, you know, who we learn it, but it's like the environment. So it seems like the university and the town around it and the community gave you many opportunities to experiment and learn different things that you were interested in. 
Yes, absolutely. And the school was always, you know, so supportive of the internship that you would do could be credit for a class uh, as opposed to, you know, sitting in a classroom learning about communications. I actually learned it very well just from being in in a company. So it, it's a, a shout out to Pace University for, for really pushing me and um, providing the opportunity to be able to go out there and learn by actually doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, as, I, as I saw on your website, you are still involved with Pace University. Would you tell us a little bit more about that? Because it's always good to give back or pay back or... Yes, absolutely. So they uh, were one of the first organizations that uh, I contacted when I wanted to start on this journey of students disrupting. And they were quick to have a meeting with me and they were very supportive of, you know, we love to hear what our alumni are doing out in the out in the world, especially that it's directly involved in New York City. So uh, I, I had a meeting with uh, their alumni people, with their different uh, people from there. So, and they've been very, very supportive and active in, you know, providing me resources or, or, or people that I could uh, connect with to be able to help with our goals. So you are still leveraging, and probably more, the community and the resources and what I call like, uh, there's a university, but then there is an ecosystem and a community around it. So you continue to stay connected with that, which is beautiful. Dennis, when did you know that you wanted to become a teacher? <laughs> so my mom will tell you that she knew from the start that I wanted to become a teacher. Uh, and I always say mother knows best and I really should have listened to her from the start. But for me, it was um, after I had a, a career in public relations uh, and sales where I just started to see that it was not something that I wanted the rest of my life to be. Uh, and I, I wanted to really make some kind of impact. And um, that's when I started to do a, a good amount of research and found the New York City Teaching Fellowship, uh, which provides an opportunity for you to, it's a, a expedited version of instead of going to undergraduate and getting your master's degree and doing the traditional path, it's an alternative way to get your teaching uh, license. So it's usually for people that are doing career changes. Uh, so I went through the interview process. I went through the grueling couple months of really intensive teacher training. And, and just from the, the moment that I stepped in the classroom, that's when I, I knew that this was, this was exactly what I wanted to do. This is what I should have been doing for a long time. So I, I knew when I, when I found the opportunity, but once I really was standing in front of the classroom, that's when I realized that this is the, the, the career for me. Mm-hmm. What kind of skills did your, I guess, short experience in the previous roles before you started learning teaching, what skills did you repurpose or how are they helping you now being a teacher and everything else you are doing? Because that was a very different kind of environment and role. Yeah, so I, I really learned from my experience in public relations and, um, and sales as well that, yeah. that it was sort of throw you in the fire and see if you can figure it out. And it really made me confident in how to just go about anything and to kind of just to figure it out on your own and to not be ashamed to ask people for help, not be ashamed to reach out to people and say, you know, I want you to do this with me or do you be willing to help out with this or do that? So any, any of the experience that I had in, in, in public relations, I was, you know, on the phone all the time. I was emailing. It helped my, my communication skills, both speaking and written. So it, it, it tra- has translated very well into what I'm doing as a teacher, uh, which I think a lot of other teachers that I work with are always like, you know, how, how do you do some of the things that you're doing, you know, when you're, you know, bringing speakers to the classroom or you're, you're doing things that seem a little bit different. Uh, I think it's just for me, I, I kind of tell them, you know, have no shame and, you know, give the, give the students that, you know, the best possible education and give them, you know, outside opportunities to see what's going on in the real world. So uh, I, I'm thankful for the, the the history that I have in in all the different career path, you know, the career, different path that I took. But 
um, it's translated very well uh, for me as a teacher. And the reason I ask this is exactly for this reason you're talking about, uh, Dennis, because sometimes when we, we don't follow the linear path or the most straightforward path, the other things we do, although they are not, let's say, building up to maybe another kind of career on a different path, the skills and the experience always help us do better or different things or approach our work in a different way with the examples you just talked about. Easier to, uh, to bring resources or bring an expert or looking, you know, asking for help. Things that sometimes we have to have a kind of different experience to be able to, to, to do that or to learn some other things. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. In your LinkedIn profile, your specialties are education, community engagement, a youth leadership development. But how do you introduce yourself if we met, uh, you know, at a social event? How would you introduce yourself? Oh, that's that's an interesting question. Uh, I would I would say that I am I'm Dennis Mahalski and I, I'm a public school teacher. That that to me is number one for me. And the one thing that I have realized from saying that is people have a lot of opinions uh, when it comes to education. So. It's a really easy conversation starter for me uh, just to say that I'm a teacher. They will give their thoughts on their history in education and what they think education needs to be doing. So uh, I actually, I enjoy it because it gives a very easy conversation starter for some people. I can see that. Of course, we all we all think of that. You know, we have a lot of opinions and different yes. opinions, yeah. but also we have a it's, a, it's a big part of our life. Yes, it's one like of those it, things that yeah. it's one of those things that people everybody's gone through it. Yeah. So everybody has their own personal experience and opinions. So it's it's a nice way for me to hear sort of people's um, thoughts on their their past and also what they think should be done uh, in education. Mm-hmm. While you are a teacher, you are also the president and executive director of Students Disrupting. Correct. Yeah. Which one is the major role? And or how do these two things intersect? Maybe you can tell us a little bit about the origin story and how you started with the students disrupting. Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, last January, uh, I mean, this past January, January 2019, I started uh, a student newspaper in my English language arts class uh, with my co-teacher, uh, Don Hunter, and she was actually my mentor as well uh, my first year. So her and I have had a very close relationship. And the way that we sort of develop units is we would sit together and be talking and then an idea would come to me and we would just start riffing almost about the possibilities of what we could do. And uh, the idea that came up to me was that I noticed that so many students don't know what's going on uh, in the local community, nationally, internationally. Uh, so I really wanted to do something that had to do with media literacy. And then that's when I said, you know, why don't we just let's create a student newspaper? You know, let's that, see what happens when we, when we develop this. So we developed the unit, we presented it to the students, and really within just days, uh, I saw this, this difference in all of the students. So the, the class was a, um, uh, an, an ICT class, which means that it had special ed students, students that had general education students, it also had ESL students. And um, by, by doing this, it, it got students who were, the ones that were not engaged were engaged like never before. And even my co-teacher, who's been a teacher for many, many years, uh, I don't think she would want me to tell you the exact number, but she, <laughs> she was uh, said, I've, I've never seen this change in students. They, they were really taking this on as their own and taking their learning into their own hands. And so when we published the first uh, uh, issue, my principal actually saw the, of course, saw the issue and saw the, the change in the student's uh, even in some other other classes that she said, going forward, this is going to be the newspaper class. And I was thrilled and the students were thrilled. Uh, and then um, when I looked a little bit more into other other student newspapers in New York City, because I wanted to, you know, reach out to other advisors of newspapers and see what they do to make their successful and, you know, sustainable, 
Uh, I realized that there was not um, a ton of resources out there um, specifically for New York City. And then I also found out that the Student Press Law Center, it was actually 2019, was the year of the student journalist. In a report from the New York Times, uh, an article in the New York Times, uh, that only 200 out of the 1,800 New York City public schools have a student newspaper. And that to me was was shocking and extremely disappointing. But I didn't just take it and say, oh, that's that's too bad. I, I thought, you know, then there's something here that we could do uh, to really make the change. Because in my own experience, I've never seen something like this uh, with students. So that's when I decided to create uh, this nonprofit organization, uh, Students Disrupting, where we are advocating and fighting for student-run newspapers in all of the 1,800 uh, New York City public schools. Mm-hmm. Would you take us through the steps from the time you said, we're going to make a newspaper, to the first issue you printed? Like, how did you know all the steps? I can think about some things that, based on what I know, but I've never also printed out a, you know, a newspaper let alone, you know, having the students, <laughs> the students, you know, run the show. So would you take us a little bit about like uh, through the steps of what, what it took to, to say, okay, we're going to make a newspaper and now we want to print out the first issue. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we first introduced it to them and we gave them, actually the first was we, we gave them all of the positions that are available on a typical newspaper. Uh, so everything from the editor-in-chief, associate editor, business manager, uh, creative director to then all the different sections that we could have, copy editor, uh, and we gave them all the descriptions. We gave them, you know, what their their daily responsibilities would be. Uh, and then we actually went through a semi-real-life uh, application and interview process. So they had to fill out close-to-real-life application where they gave their employment history or their and their education history, and and then they had to give some reasons why they think they would be best for the different positions that they chose. And then we held interviews with each one of the students uh, to discuss, you know, why they want to be that position, why they think they'll be the best for the position. Uh, we, we also used it as a way to, if the student was struggling with the with answer, we would kind of pause the interview and say, you know, this is going to be something that you're going to run into uh, when you do a real interview. So let's, yeah. let's work through how you would want to answer this. So it was just from the start, it was really just instilling these, these very basic but necessary skills that they're going to need outside of school. Uh, so then once we did all the interviews, it took some time, then we decided on who was going to be what position, we gave them their position, uh, and then we would have meetings within each section or the editorial management to discuss kind of what they're going to be doing. And then uh, we told them our first issue is going to be published on this date. This is what, what we're expecting. And from there, it just kind of really just like exploded into, you know, they took it on their own and they, and they made it, um, you know, w- w- what, it is, what it is today. So it's... What is the name of the newspaper? The name of the newspaper is The Claw Weekly. So our, our mascot is The Hawk. Uh, and a lot of people were like, why don't you call it the Hawk? But I said, you know, I want to make, I want to give it to the students to, uh, on the staff to create. So they, they created the name, which is the Claw Weekly. And then they created the name of each section, which is, um, the news section is the dose. The sports section is called the clutch. The fashion and celebrity is called the drip. And then like the editorial story and, uh, gossipy type is the chismosos. Uh, so the, those were all the all, all student created, and it's it's still uh, to this day what what it's called. Mm-hmm. And how many students are involved in your school, like you know, creating content or taking care of other aspects of the whole process? Uh, there are uh, between from last year to this year about thirty two students that are involved in the process uh, and that are in the class. But we also do open it up to other students who want to, you know, what I, what I tell them is their title is a freelance writer if they want to provide a, an article once in a while or if they do want to do one every time, you know, they can provide that. So really, it's been like maybe like 35 uh, students in total for, every, for each issue, yeah. That's nice. So what are the students learning 
specifically what kind of skills are they developing? You talked about the interviewing, knowing how to talk about yourself and your skills and your experience. What other skills are they developing as they are part of the newspaper? Yeah, so there there's so many that they're developing on the student newspaper. Everything from traditional skills you expect from an English class. So they're developing their literacy skills, they're developing their research skills, they're developing their writing skills. Uh, and even when it comes to the writing skills, they're really developing their voice in their writing, as opposed to the tra- the traditional, you know, five paragraph essay or writing to, you know, for a test and things like that. They they develop how their style of writing is. Uh, so, um, you know, from those traditional aspects, it, I mean, I've looked at the 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 standards, the state standards, and the student newspaper hits every single one of them. Uh, in addition to you know their discussion skills, they're they're working together to create a product, and they are naturally speaking to one another. Students who are never speaking to one another, one another, are working together, helping each other, editing their newspapers, interviewing authority figures within their within the school, and really not afraid to do it because they had a purpose of what they were. Uh, doing so, the the traditional skills were were definitely something that I saw that they were learning. Uh, but then the the other skills that I that I find even more important uh, was that they were learning, you know, how to speak up for themselves and to not just be seeking or waiting for their teacher or for a an authority figure to tell them what to do. So every day they walked into class and they had a purpose. I didn't have to tell them what to do. They knew what they were doing. Uh, and it, it, you know, it, that translate very well to the workplace where they, they know exactly what to do. And in addition, it would be that, you know, if anything happened within the school or there was a policy that was passed in the school or something that happened in the neighborhood or in the nation, they got to, you know, speak up about it in, in, a, in a factual way. And to me, that was the number one skill that they learned was that they finally were really learning how to analyze difficult issues and get both sides of the issue and present them and also really feel like they're making a difference, which, which they did. And so, you know, for me, you know, the, the number one issue was for them to really find their voice and to really have a voice within the community and, and see the, the difference and the change that they were making. Who are you distributing the newspaper to? Is it within the school? Yes, it's, it's, it's within the school. We distribute to the, the students, teachers and the administration. Okay. And what about the parents? What do the parents uh, say when they see that their, you know, children have contributed to a newspaper? Uh, the, the parents are always <laughs> so excited. Uh, it's so funny because a lot of the students, I think, just take it and they read it and then that's it and, and they don't show their parents. But once I like, am in a parent-teacher conference with them and I show them the newspaper, they're like awestruck by seeing the product and then seeing their own student's name. It's like they're seeing their student in you know in, in the New York Times or seeing them on TV they get really excited uh, they want to read the kids story they they are so proud of uh, of what their what their child did so um, I, I definitely want to be focused more on distributing it to uh, the parents as well uh, because they are you know they're an integral part of our community but they also um, just get really excited when they see that their students involved in this So, Dennis, is that now part of the curriculum? Is there a specific class for that? How does it work at the school that you are? Yeah, so the the school um, that I'm at, uh, we we are, uh, it's an English class, mm-hmm. uh, and the curriculum is, uh, is doing the newspaper. Um, so I've created the unit, I've created the syllabus, I've created all the different units for it that support what's expected from Uh, this is an 11th grade English class. What's expected from an 11th grade English class? Because it does give them the ability to, you know, like I've said, hit all of the standards. They're reading, writing, discussing, they're doing everything. And so I've been very lucky to be able to 
have an administration that that has this part of the you know the the, the core subjects what do they do when they there is a problem like printing or an article is not ready what do they do <laughs> so yeah so when there's a, when there's an article that's not ready um I make them ready. <laughs> okay, and how do so, you do that? Because yeah, that's a so part of the real, you know, real life process, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so the one thing with them is, um, it's it's funny because they're also used to, you know, their product is graded, and in school, that's that's the end goal. Is you know, you study for a test, you get a grade. You write a paper, you get a grade. Uh, but with uh, the students in my class, the grade is like the least important thing to them. They just want to see their article in the newspaper. So if they don't make the deadline, I make it very clear to them that if you don't make the deadline, I'm still going to give you a grade just based on the writing that you give me. And they just don't care. They're like, I mean, okay, but I want to see my new, my, I want to see my article with the newspaper. So they always, always would turn it in by the deadline because they wanted to see it uh, in print. So it was an amazing thing for me that, you know, you, you would think that kids are just very focused on their grade, but when in this class it was like grade was second to being able to see uh, their name and their work uh, distributed to, you know, the 500, 600 students that we have at the school. And why is that, Dennis? Why is it that they, they have a different posture? Why is that? Well, I think it's because they see something tangible. I think that when 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 you get a grade, it's a grade, and it's a how do you label your work, honestly? And I, you know, I tell my students all the time in their in our English class and my speech and debate classes, you know, they're they're so focused sometimes on you know well before the newspaper within the class, they're so focused on their grade, and I always tell them, you know, like. I'll give you a 95 if that's what you want, but, you know, what is it that you really learned? What is it that you're getting out of this class? You know, I, I to me, grade, the a traditional grade is not what's important. It's what they're going to get out of my class. So a lot of my kids do well, uh, you know, because I, you know, talk to them about, you know, what do you want to get out of this class? If it's speech and debate, what do you want to get out of speech and debate? Are you afraid of public speaking? Uh, do you want to learn how to, you know, have an effective argument? Um, so, you know, if, if they feel as though at the end of the class, they did well, they've learned something, they're able to walk out with something, then, you know, I feel as though then they, they deserve a good grade. But I think that a lot of the students, they've been so used to just, that's their end goal, uh, when really then when it translates to something that they get to show their friends and they get to discuss with their friends or, You know, people in the school are coming up to them, congratulating them or saying, you know, I want to be in your next article. It just, it changes their thinking of what education is and should be about, you know, it's, it, it doesn't matter about the grade. It matters what is the product and what is it that they're learning from this. Uh, and that's the one thing that I've seen, you know, a massive difference uh, with these kids where, You know, they're all getting good grades, but it's like, oh, well, okay, yeah, cool. I have an A, but I, I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm more concerned about, you know, being in the newspaper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a big proponent of learning by doing and by creating a very specific and tangible piece of work, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be A or perfect or anything, as long as it comes out when we promised it's going to come out. I think that to me, that's, that's deep learning in terms of learning skills Exactly. And putting them into work because, again, you're, you're sharing something, but it's something you can say, I made this here. I yes. made this and I'm proud. And yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. So now you're bringing this initiative to more schools because you said that it's very rare, like very few schools in New York City have newspapers. So this is a different kind of job now because at your school, Everybody said, Dennis, that's a great idea. Let's do it. And you had more or less all the leverage. But now you are trying to create change much more broadly. How do you start about it? How do you reach out to other schools to say, I think you should also have a newspaper? So when <laughs> I started this, um, people could have said that I'm, I'm crazy. Uh, and I 
would certainly agree. I am crazy uh, because this is a pretty big goal. And I still have people even to this day that are like, oh, you know, if you get five, five schools, that'll be great. But to me, I want every single school to have one. But in order to start with that, I always have to be reminded typically by my mother that you got to just take baby steps sometimes. So uh, we've just been doing a lot of awareness work. So I've been lucky to be able to have uh, people that I have on my board of directors and also uh, people that are on my leadership team uh, help me where we did our first fundraiser. And it was incredible uh, when I held the first fundraiser because even when I started it, you know, people were saying, you know, maybe make the prices this or maybe do this or make sure just your friends are there, make sure the room is filled. Uh, but my response is more, you know, I want, I want people there that I don't know. I want people there who see this as a possibility and, and want to be a part of something a little bit bigger. So at that uh, fundraiser, uh, I had the honor of being able to have Manhattan Borough President Gail Brewer uh, as one of, as our special, you know, keynote speaker, because uh, she spoke to my class uh, in last school year about the importance of media and free press. And she spoke at this event and we had people there that I didn't know before, but now I'm in contact uh, very regularly. And to me, that was incredible because it really gave me some, you know, some massive reasoning to keep going with this and that it's not just people that are close to me that, that believe in this, that are people that I don't know that are saying, I can't believe I didn't think of this. I can't believe this is the case. Uh, you know, whatever I can do, I will help you. Uh, so from that point on, I've had one woman who, you know, I, I already knew, but now from the fundraiser and with this initiative, she's been very active and invited me in uh, to her school. She's a parent uh, invited me into the PTA meeting uh, to discuss our initiative. Uh, we also have um, a few other schools that have seen our work or seen interviews on some of the media that we have and reached out and said, we want to get involved with this. We want to have a student newspaper at our school. You know, where do we start? Uh, so it's really been, it's it, from, from this point forward, it's already has been, is going to be, you know, reaching out to individual schools and seeing even the schools that already have a student newspaper, hearing from them about, you know, what has made it successful at your school, what have been your challenges, uh, what is it that you'd want to see that would make your newspaper better, uh, and then be able to take those things that we learn uh, and then be able to incorporate them into our implementation plan individual schools. Because for each school, it's always going to be different. So it's really getting to know each one of the schools which is, a, which is a big thing to take on, but I, I strongly believe that it will be something um, that can be done. Okay, so who needs to approve or, or embrace it and say, we will do this? Is it, is it like the teacher or is it the admin or the people who create the curriculum? What is the first or the most effective, I guess, point that you start connecting with each school? For, for me, it's, it's going to be... Um, it's a grassroots style. I, I think okay. it's going to be the, the teachers and even the students and parents in the community. So when even a parent sees, you know, an article or something or founds out, finds out about our organization, uh, we have on our website, you know, if you're a parent, if you're a student, if you're a teacher, if you're an administrator, you know, what could be your next steps? Typically they lead to, you know, talk to us or talk to your, your student, find a teacher that you think would be interested in this. If you're a teacher, talk to the students and talk to the parents. If you're a parent, talk to your PTA. If you're an administrator, uh, talk to your teachers to see who would be interested in this. So it, I don't know if there's one, one individual that we're reaching out to, but I think it, it's definitely something where we, we need a lot of different people who are involved in that school uh, to reach out. And so it, it will be a variety of different ways of, of reaching these mm-hmm. people. Yeah. And I saw the, all this information on the website, which is beautiful. Okay. But I was also thinking that for me, school and as part of the education system is a system, right? It's a, it's a system. So there are different what I call touch points or gatekeepers or people who will advocate for you or make it happen. So everything you just talked about, again, from the students, teachers, sorry, parents, teachers, admin, 
everybody needs to, I guess, give the buy-in, starting with some interest. How many schools have you talked to or are you in the process of uh, guiding them and supporting them to start the newspaper? Yeah, right now we have um, only a handful of schools uh, who have either reached out or we've reached out to uh, directly about bringing a student newspaper or just getting the initial conversation started uh, about you know, how it can be done um, and to answer their questions. So right now it's, it's a handful um, and I'm happy to say that it's, it's in all of the boroughs. Uh, so we, we have a, a diverse uh, group of schools that want to be involved. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the ones that I call them the early adapters, that they start, something comes up, you know, a new project, a new initiative, something new, and they, they adapt quickly. Why are the, the schools embracing the initiative and they want to start the newspaper versus others that you might have talked to and they are still holding back a little bit? What are the second category? What, what are they afraid of or what are they worried about or what do they need that they have not really decided to, to create the newspaper? Yeah, so I think that there's, there's challenges, I think, for each one of the groups. Uh, so for administrators, uh, I would think that there's one, the first thought is funding. Um, so their thing is, you know, how are we going to fund this? How is this going to happen? You know, what are the logistics of all of this? I think that is the forefront of what their challenge is. Additionally, I think that some administrators see a student press as seeing a sort of check to their power and are a little afraid, you know, what happens if we give these students a little bit of authority by giving them this student newspaper? Um, so I think that maybe, un, you know, they might not even realize that they have that fear, but I think that there, there are some that it's absolutely that, that case. So I think for them, that's their, their challenge and a little bit of like, eh, I'm a little bit nervous of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to teachers, I think it's, you know, when am I going to do this? What time do I have? I already have no time in my day. Uh, when am I going to make this happen? Uh, and also, um, you know, am I even going to have students that are interested in it? You know, how, how am I going to get students interested? Uh, and then I think for students, it's, you know, who do I go to to make this happen? How do we make this happen? Uh, who's going to take us seriously? And then for parents, I think it's sort of just, it's how do I get all of these groups involved uh, and and to really uh, agree to having this happen. Um, so I think each group has um, their different reasons of questioning or, you know, not jumping in, but maybe just having a couple questions. So all different, but I think all of them are, you know, are, are fair questions and fair or fair hesitations, but I could very easily... Uh, share with them why, why there's, um, why those can be overcome very easily mm-hmm. and they shouldn't, they shouldn't be in any way feeling that these are challenges. Mm-hmm. Dennis, do you have a few like specific points that let's say you, you communicate with them that you can support them, whether it's, you know, clarifying the resources or make sure that students will engage? Like, do you provide like what I call like detailed or specific kind of support? Yes. So uh, through Students Disrupting with the implementation plan, uh, it will include first starting off with roundtables, which will be the, the part of, you know, gathering information from different schools that either have a newspaper or don't. Uh, but then once we are in the schools, it will be the providing the support and the answers that they need. So, you know, what are the very minute details of getting this off the ground uh, and, and how to get your students to buy in, how to get the teachers to buy in, how to get the whole, the whole school community to be involved and be supportive of this. So, you know, if that is providing the lessons for the first few before the students take off, uh, if that means, you know, being, going into the school and seeing the, the different students that are there and talking with them and seeing, you know, how can this newspaper fit into this, this school community or fit into this class? Uh, we'll provide that as well. If it's the the administrators, you know, a little bit hesitant about, you know, I don't know about, you know, the, the funding or about the students having a voice. Um, it's to sort, you know, it's to show there is a there's a way more 
beneficial aspect to this than a drawback. And there is no, uh, you know, extra funding if you do just implement it as a regular English class. Um, you don't need to make an entire journalism program. You make it into just an English class and they're learning everything that they want to learn. Mm-hmm. All these uh, different changes that you talked about, are these uh, during the, the pilot program before they do the implementation? Yes. So it will be uh, part of the, the pilot program. Uh, we'll be um, really working one-on-one with the, the, all of the different um, parties involved. So students, parents, teachers, and administrators, um, and making them just feel comfortable in knowing that they're not doing this alone. I've been there. I know how it can be. You're exhausted after your first publication, but you know, to know that you can, once, once you get your first issue published, it's, you know, you've, you've learned what you did well, what you need to work on. And that would be our job in making sure that, you know, they look at it as a, a positive experience as opposed to like, oh God, that was terrible. That was really tough. I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. What I liked when I, I researched your work So the three-step process that you talked about, the community roundtables, the pilot program, and the implementation, I think as as a process is very valuable for anyone. I mean, for a teacher who wants to create a new project or a new initiative. And I like how you explain that, you know, leveraging what others are doing, but also creating your own project and then helping others, you know, again, through the roundtables, through the pilot and the implementation to make it happen. Because most of the time, people have hesitation, as you explained, but also most of the time they don't know how to do it. Yes. So the fact that you are providing this, what I call very specific guidance and support, it just helps them to move forward, one, you know, one step closer to the change. Because yes, it is exactly. a change. The other thing that I thought was brilliant, because well, I have not been in educate. Well, I have been in educational system, but not in your position. But I've dealt with another system, the corporate system. <laughs> and the best way to create a change is to take something that exists and just try to implement your project or your initiative there. Like what you talked about yes. is uh-huh. the English class versus I will create something new. That is a different kind of decision and a different kind of change. Yes, exactly. And I, and, yes, and I love these two things because again, it's building a new a newspaper is a great is a great work you are doing. But to me, there are a lot of learnings. If a teacher is listening and says, "Okay, that's wonderful," but I want to do something else, you know, it may not be newspaper; it could be another project. How do I make it happen? And I like the way that you explained how you did it because it's easier. It's not easy work. <laughs> it's hard work to do all of these things. <laughs> yeah. I was like, people say it doesn't ever get easy. No, it does no. not get easy. But you have to just keep moving it forward. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but I love these things because there are, you know, lessons that again someone can implement for any other project. It could be not related to writing or newspaper, but it could be something else that we can. Yes, because we do need to change or yeah, change some things in education and schools. But I also believe they start with one student, one teacher, and one project. You know, we don't. There are different views of how to approach that. I'm, I am like your mother, <laughs> one step at a time, yes. one project at a time. Do the best you can, keep moving it forward. And Absolutely. What you talked about, Dennis, I think it's a beautiful example. What uh, surprised you during this process, or what was the most challenging thing so far? I know it's very recent. Uh, so for with the with the project with students yes, disrupting? Yes, yes. With the student disrupting, what what surprised you or what was the biggest challenge for you? Uh, what surprised me was, um, I guess it could be both, is that the the misconception that, that every school has a newspaper. Uh, that's something that we've had to overcome a lot when we speak to people because a lot of people are shocked when they hear that most schools don't have one uh, and it's almost like this we have to we have to reteach that this is not something that is in most schools a lot of people grew up in neighborhoods or schools where they did have a student newspaper so they just assume that it's in every school and so when i tell people this it's always like a, a it's a you know, their I could their face always is like so they're just in awe that this is not something that's in schools anymore. Um and they always want to know why. Uh and it's one of those hard questions of 
answering, you know, why aren't student newspapers in schools? I never have a, you know, direct and specific answer. I have many different theories for that, but I can't give them a concrete answer. But a lot of people that I speak to, it, it comes down to, you know, the typical answers that you would think where it's funding, it's it's testing, and it's also a little bit of this fear of letting students loose, you know, and being able to write about whatever they want. So that's one of the the, the surprises and, and challenges for me is that people are shocked by it. And then people always want to know, you know, well, why is that? And I have to tell them, you know, I don't think there's just one thing that I can pinpoint as the reason, but I think that based on just looking at where our education system is, and especially in, in New York City, the largest public school system in the country, uh, I think that there's a few different factors that that go into that. Beautiful. Thank you. So uh, you talked about the influence of your family and your mother. You also talked about the principal at school and the support you, you had. Is there any other person, whether like as a mentor or someone who helped you with a specific resource or any other way along the way? Yeah. So in addition to my family, uh, uh, the one person who has had the uh, biggest influence on me is actually my co-teacher, who was my mentor. And she was just assigned to me. uh, Every first year teacher uh, is assigned a mentor. And she, as I've said, has been in the, the, the the school system in New York City for a very long time. And she really has made me the teacher that I am today, because, you know, whenever I'd have a bad day, she'd always tell me, you know, that's just the way it is. That is just what's going to happen. Um, You know, but it's how you react to these problems and would always just let me, you know, talk about my problem. Then she would share a story of when she was in a school that was way crazier than mine. And then she'd make me feel better. But also she was always just like open to whatever idea I had. She'd always be like, let's do it. Let's just do it. If, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Uh, and so, you know, she was one that really opened my, my eyes and my mind to how you could really make a difference by really looking at the students in your classroom and building your lesson and building your unit on the students as opposed to imposing what you want them to learn. You know, she's a special ed teacher, also an ESL teacher. So she's very focused on the individual needs of the students. So her name's Dawn Hunter and she she's has, like I tell her, I'm crazy as a teacher because of her. And every idea that I have is because of her, because she's always been like, you know what, the system's going to be what it is. You have to make it you know, in your way, what you want to make it. Um, and I think, you know, that's why I'm not afraid of, you know, as her name is, disrupting a little bit of what's going on and being able to say, you know, this isn't right. This is not something that we should just be okay with. We shouldn't be okay with the status quo. We should not be okay with with some of the things that are going on in our education system. And she's always, when most teachers have been in the system for a very long time, will just say like, be quiet just put your head down. She would always be like, nope, you go do that. I know you can do it. Just make that change. Um, so she's been in, in my, my career as a teacher. It would never have been the same uh, without her. Yeah, I can see how all this helped you. Yeah. Not only, you know, to develop further yourself, your skills and, you know, your posture, but also your work, which is uh, impure. Yes, it's a, it's a blessing to meet this kind of people, you know, during our paths. You remind me of a mentor who very much in different context, in different kind of system, but more or less same approach. Yeah. You cannot change it. Don't fight anything. If this did not work, try something else. And this has happened a hundred times. You know, it's not going to be the first time. You are just seeing it first time. So this exactly. kind of, it's also grounding a little bit because it gives you like, it gives you some good confidence that, you know, you can keep going, good perspective. But what I like the most is uh, what the second part that you talked about, Dennis, it's like that they are embracing the crazy ideas or <laughs> something that everybody else says it's not going to work. But they say, you know what? Try it. 
Yeah. It might work. You know, uh, to me, that's that's the most that support. You know, this support and resources and all the you know emotional support are all all important. But people who are embracing like change. Yes. Through you know one single idea, you are creating change. You're not going to change the whole educational system in uh, the United States, but your project creates impact because, as you talked about, the students. To me, I always look at the students, the, the skills that they are developing. Yes. The, you know, to me that I don't, I don't need anything else to know the value of the of the project and the, and what you are doing. The fact that you know what you described about what the students are learning and how they are also developing a different posture for their work their confidence and everything they want to do. And they have a voice. Yes, absolutely. Learning to have a voice is not a, for the faint of heart. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's, put it, let's put it this way. Okay. If someone is listening, we talked about if they are students, parents, teachers, they you have specific things they can do. But if, if someone like me, who is not in any of these categories, wants to support how how could we support you because you're doing something for the future of learning and education? Yeah, so there's a, a few different ways that people can. So our uh, our website is studentsdisrupting.org, and there is always the the option of donating financially to what we're doing because uh, with the roundtables and the pilot program, it's going to be a lot of resources of finding space, finding materials, finding. Uh, the time and and teachers and students like to have food and snacks at the things that they're at. So providing that as well. Um, so really the, the financial resources are something. Um, so by going to studentsdisrupting.org, we do have a, a donation page where they can donate um, and it is tax deductible as well. And then uh, another way is, is emailing me, uh, which is on our contact page, which they can just email me. And if there's someone that they know that that may be interested or, or they want to volunteer or I'm always open to, you know, hearing from people and hearing their thoughts and if they have feedback or if they have a connection, that's always um, extremely welcome, uh, just as much um, as the financial aspect. The uh, other thing most recently that we're doing is uh, we're doing a, a Giving Tuesday campaign where uh, we have a design on a t-shirt, on a sweatshirt and a crew neck uh, that was actually de- designed by one of the students that was on our newspaper, the Statue of Liberty, and it has a pencil in her hand and a clipboard as a, uh, uh, in her arm. And uh, it says support New York City Student Press. And people can go on our website and find uh, the link there and they can um, support us by not only giving us money, but then they'll also get merchandise in return. And we're really trying to promote that to um, lead up to Giving Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And all that is on the website, studentsdisrupting.org. Correct. Yes. Very good. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you. What is one thing, well, I might know the answer, but I will ask the question. What is the one thing you would like to leave your mark on within your lifetime? Oh, there's <laughs> a lot. <laughs> but the one is bringing a voice to students in the education system and almost flipping the education system from being a top-down decision maker to being a bottom-up uh, decision maker. Mm-hmm. You know what you also reminded me now when you said that when I have studied a lot change in, in different uh, systems and, you know, different contexts. But often when we try to create change for a system, we always think top down. But the bottom up, which basically you are creating change with the customers or with the students who are part of the system, because the reason the school is there is because we want to educate students, right? That's in the same way I would think of a a business is there because we have customers. We want to serve our customers. So I call them the customer, but it's in quotes. So basically it is, you are creating this by giving them voice, a resource, a tool, so they are part of the change. So they are creating, you know, the change together. And that's why to me this bottom up or giving them voice is how change happens. Because there is a lot of discussion about how can we evolve our education well. Let's have students also involved because everything is for them. We are having the schools for the students, <laughs> right? Okay, we have them also for some parents, but but they are the customers. This is why why the educational system exists, you know, to serve our students. 
Absolutely. Beautiful. I love that. I love I love the way that you talked about the bottom up versus top down. Oh yeah. Okay, so we talked about a lot of things and you are doing wonderful work and I'm impressed by how much progress you've made since you you just started because it's very, very new project, very new initiative. Is there anything, Dennis, that uh, we have not talked about and you would like to share with us? Uh, I just have to thank you for having me on. I, I'm so happy that we we connected and uh, you this this interview I, I thoroughly enjoyed and I, I think that the way that you you did this interview was a lot of fun and informative and was a, was a way for me to be able to get you know as much information out there to those that are interested in hearing more on uh, on how to make a difference in New York City. Thank you. It was a pleasure to have you and again thank you for all the work you do. And all the best with the support and uh, and the work you are doing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. What I learned from my discussion with Dennis Michalski today is that a student-run newspaper is not just about the newspaper. It gives students a voice and through the whole operation, they develop teamwork and leadership skills. If you enjoy Impact Learning, please share it with a friend and consider subscribing and leaving us a review on iTunes. And remember, we can talk about learning, we can design it, or we can do both. This is Impact Learning. I'm your host, Maria Zenidou. Till next time.